0: Good morning. If I didn't introduce myself earlier, my name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here and I just want to welcome all of you again to Element Church and just like um, several people have already said this morning and Christy just uh, did it as well. We hope you had a great, uh, blessed, happy Thanksgiving. Um, We are almost done with the book of James. Um, We will wrap up our study through the book of James tomorrow. Um, If you want to follow along with our scriptures this morning, not only in James but the other passages that we're going to read and talk about today, the easiest way to follow along is to scan this QR code and you can open up our event in the Bible app and follow along this morning. Um, And then you can just be caught up right with uh, everything that we're talking about. In addition to, um, if you have a prayer request that you'd like to share, uh, if you're a guest with us, we would love to know more about you. And you can fill out a connection card to let us know more about you. All of those things can be found in the Bible app as well. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I overate this week, um, as uh, I do this week every year. Um, Unlike most years, though, I'm actively exercising. Normally by this point in the year, I have completely abandoned uh, all exercise and I'll just wait for New Year's resolutions in January to to worry about that. But I actually ran all week. We went out of town. We went to Oklahoma to visit my family and my wife's family and um, I ran all week and I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. Like I get to eat a lot and, um, but I'm running, I'm exercising, I'm burning it all off. And then I got on the scale this morning and I'm like, seriously, why did I even bother running? Like, I don't, so apparently I ate more, a lot more than I should have. And it was incredible because I come from a great family of cooks and so does my wife. So we got two Thanksgiving um, dinners and they were both incredible. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase? I I say, I ask that question. Of course you have. Um, The phrase that it's what's on the inside that counts. You know, like, um, use that to to talk about people or certain situations. Like, it's, it's what's on the inside that counts. Well, at one of our Thanksgiving dinners, uh, there was this, there was a whole spread of pies, which I'm so thankful for Thanksgiving that we eat pie and not cake, because pie is far superior to cake, and um, so there were just this huge spread of pies, they all looked amazing, they all tasted incredible, and there was one key lime pie, which I love key lime pie, but I can get that a lot of times, you know, pumpkin and pecan pie, they're a little more rare, so I had to go with that but there was this great looking key lime pie. And um, so people were grabbing their pies and, and um, every, people were grabbing some of this key lime pie and um, it was a little different than normal. It looked great. I mean, when you just looked at it, it was kind of soupy, it had never really set up, but you know, it's one of those things that it's like, it doesn't, what, what does it matter? It's gonna taste great if it's a little soupy, who cares, right? And the individual who made this pie is one of the few people who don't do a lot of cooking, Um, and as we're all sitting down eating our pies, they go, you know, it's the strangest recipe I've ever seen for a key lime pie. You put two eggs in it, but you don't have to bake it. And we're like, hmm, that's why it's soupy, I'd say. So, um, you know that phrase, it's what's on the inside that counts. Uh, That pie looked great on the outside. Fortunately, no one got sick, at least not that I'm aware of. Um, uh, I haven't heard any reports of anyone in our family getting sick, but um, you know, it happens. But it's, it's what's on the inside that counts so many times. And what we're talking about in James um, has a lot to do with what's on the inside. And let's be honest. At this day and age, there's plenty for us to focus on when it comes to the outside, There's lots of controversy, there's lots of things to be upset about, there's lots of things to be passionate about, there's lots of things to speak up about, there's lots of things to, to stand up for or against, and there's a lot of things on the outside that can steal our attention, but sometimes we need those reminders to stop and to pause and to be reminded that what we should really be focusing on is what's on the inside, And so what we're going to do is we're going to read our passage out of James together this morning. And then like we do every week, we'll take some moments to stop and slow down and reflect on a few key points and pieces within it. And so where we are in our journey at this point is we are at James chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 7 through 12 this morning. And James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so one of the main themes out of this passage, and really out of chapter 5, is this idea of patience in the face of suffering, about saying steadfast and patient. I don't know if you remember when we started the book of James several months ago. That was one of the key ideas that we started the book with, was this idea of remaining steadfast in the midst of trials and temptations and difficulties. And here, James wants us to remain steadfast or patient in tough times. To remain patient in the midst or the face of suffering And in order to encourage us to do that, he gives us three primary examples of individuals or people groups that we can look to as an example of what it means to have patience. And the first one that James is going to draw our attention to is to the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. If this teaches us anything about patience, it teaches us that patience is not inactivity. That patience is not just sitting back and being idle, just hoping the storm will blow by. Farmers are anything but inactive. Farmers do everything they can that's within their control to ensure that they have the best possible crop. But in the end, despite all their hard work, the farmer recognizes that the end results are in many ways outside of their control. Farmer doesn't control when the rain comes. Farmer doesn't control what nature does. But he does everything he can do that's within his power and then trusts in the Lord. James likens our patience in the in the in the face or when we're we're looking at difficulties and sufferings he likens our patience to that of a farmer but sometimes we do think about patience as a passive activity just sitting around and waiting but a farmer doesn't sit and wait a farmer gets up and works Maybe harder than anyone else in our society. There's probably nobody who works harder and is less appreciated and acknowledged than a farmer. I mean, even when we sit down to eat, we're thankful for our food, we're thankful for the opportunity to eat, we're thankful that the Lord has given us a job and the ability to buy food for our families. But it's probably not very often we stop to think about all the hard work that went into just the opportunity for us to buy that food and James has no intention of us just sitting idly by and being patient being just idle while we're patient he even says in verse 8 you also be patient establish your hearts patience is an active activity something that we work at. It's something that we do everything that we can that's within our control but recognizing in the end many times we're at the place of trusting God in his mercy to do what only he can do. James is going to give us two other examples as a, a, a sort of a case study of what it looks like to have patience. The next after talking about farmers he's going to talk about the prophets. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now remember, we've talked about this before, James, while he was not a Christian, not a believer and a a devoted follower of Jesus during Jesus's earthly ministry, he became a devoted follower of Jesus when he met his half-brother resurrected from the grave. My guess is that any of us who saw our brother raised from the dead would cause us to rethink uh, how we look at our brother. And so James was convinced by the resurrection that Jesus really was who he said he was, that he really was the long-awaited promised Messiah, that he really was God in the flesh. But James' background wasn't Christian because he didn't believe in Jesus up until the resurrection, but his background also wasn't pagan. James growing up grew up as a devoted and devout Jew. And so James was familiar with all the stories of the individuals in the Old Testament, all the positive examples of faith and endurance and steadfastness, and he was also aware of all the negative examples of people who got it wrong in the Old Testament. But as James is is sort of searching his mind and his memory for examples of what it means to be patient in the midst of difficulties, to him, the Old Testament prophets serve as a great example. Now, there's a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. Some of them who have their own books named after them, Some of them, they wrote those books. Some of them, their books were written about them after their life and ministry was gone. And there were countless numbers of prophets of God that we just simply don't know anything about. But a prophet was someone who God said, I want you to share my word with my people. And so they would stand up before God's people, before the Israelites, and they would say, thus says the Lord. Now, a lot of times when we think about prophets and prophecy, we think about predicting the future. That's what a lot of times our minds go to when we think about prophecy. But that's really not what being a prophet was about. Being a prophet was generally about, thus says the Lord, if you will obey God, keep him first, keep his commandments, serve him and him only, here's all the ways he's going to bless us if you disobey If you turn your back, if you worship other gods, if you go your own way, here's all the things that will happen because of our disobedience. And so many times they may have talked about the future, but it was as a direct result of either the obedience or the disobedience of God's people. Now there are a few times in the Old Testament where one of the prophets does speak prophesying about some future event, but largely it was just about sharing God's word with his people. Prophets in the Old Testament were often highly esteemed and regarded as men of God. But most of them were treated terribly. Because anytime you stand in front of a group of people and you say, Hey, thus says the Lord, you're all terrible sinners, you're selfish, you're idolatrous. You're committing adultery against the God you've been betrothed to, and he's going to punish you. And the way he's going to punish you is he's going to send our sworn enemies to come conquer us. When that's the kind of message you deliver, people usually don't like you. That's one of those things where people actually do kill the messenger over the message. And so while being a prophet was something to to be highly regarded because their message obviously came with some negative connotations sometimes, because they were pronouncing God's judgment, because they were announcing to the people their sinfulness and how God was going to bring about consequences, they weren't always popular. And so they had to be patient in the midst of suffering. We see this contrast between the the high regard that a prophet deserves, yet the difficulty of their job. Jeremiah is a great example. There's a lot of prophets we could talk about, but we'll just briefly talk about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is going to tell us about his own experience being a prophet. You look here at the beginning of his book, or one of his books that he wrote. It says this in chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, so this is Jeremiah telling us his own story, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations and then I said oh uh, Lord God behold I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth but the Lord said to me do not say I am only a youth for to all to whom I send you you shall go and whatever I command you you shall speak do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord what an amazing testimony That God says, listen, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you, I set you apart. And I'm sending you on a special mission to be my mouthpiece to the nations. And whatever worries you have, Jeremiah, about your inability to speak, about your inexperience and youth, about whatever opposition might come to you, just know that I am with you, Jeremiah. Man, if God came and delivered that message to you, wouldn't that make you feel great? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that fill you with all kinds of boldness and confidence? What's going to happen next is God is going to begin to tell Jeremiah the very words that he is, in fact, supposed to speak to the people. And then look what God tells him in chapter 7. So you shall speak all these words to them, all these words that God had just given to Jeremiah, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. God says, Jeremiah, I have chosen you. I have set you apart. I am sending you on a special mission. I am going to be with you. I'm going to give you the words to say, oh, and by the way, no one will listen to you and they will hate you for it. Job says these individuals, these prophets, they're a great example to us of what it means to have patience in suffering, to have patience in the face of difficulties. That we do everything we can do, but once we do our part, we, we recognize then the rest is in the Lord's hands. Jeremiah was used powerfully by the Lord. But it was never an easy and oftentimes not a joyful experience. Because he was hated. And because he had to sit back. And as he proclaimed these words and people did not listen to him and they ignored him. He had to watch his own people group, his own nation, the people that he loved completely disobey and get destroyed. He sat there and watched as the city of Jerusalem eventually was burned to the ground and the very temple that he used to go inside to worship was torn down brick by brick. But James said it's these kind of individuals that tell us what it means to be patient in the face of suffering. And then James gives us a third example. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, here's what I love, because God is always working behind the scenes. Today's kid's Bible story was about Job, which actually saved me some time, because I don't have to go through his whole story in case you're not familiar with it, and that was not planned at all. Our kid's ministry um, when we go back to having elementary classrooms again, but all the way down through the entire kids' ministry, they're on a rotation, a three-year rotation, where they go through the entire Bible every three years. And if you've been paying attention to our Bible story videos that we have for the elementary kids who are still in here with us, is that we've currently been going through Genesis. We just started a new rotation um, in September. I believe it was September, maybe it was October. We just started our new rotation. But the reason the Bible story today was on Job is because chronologically the story of Job falls in between Genesis chapter 11 and chapter 12. Now his story isn't there because um, the Bible is not, especially the Old Testament, is not arranged chronologically. It's arranged like a library. So it's arranged by genres of literature. But if it was chronological, Job would be right in the middle between Genesis 11 and 12. And so that's why the story was shown this morning. And we didn't plan that out. Um, I have no control over when these uh, Bible stories are put together. But I love how God is always working behind the scenes. And so we've already gotten to hear Job's story this morning. And James wants us to think about his story as another example of what it means to remain steadfast or patient in the face of difficulties. And suffering. And here's my one of my favorite passages in, in all of the the entire Bible is Job forty two, five. This is towards the end of Job's experience of losing everything that he holds dear and having nothing left but the Lord. Before God restores everything Job had lost to him. Job declares this in 42, 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I had heard of your goodness, but now I get it. I knew you were good, but it's easy to say that when everything in life is good. But can you still claim and proclaim that God is good? when everything in life is bad. Job said, I, I had heard of you. I had heard of your goodness. I had heard of your graciousness and your, your mercy. I had heard of your faithfulness. But now I know it. Now I've seen it with my own eyes. Job makes this declaration before the Lord restored everything back to him. Before God multiplied everything everything he had lost back to him. Through the face of suffering and and difficulties, Job wasn't perfect, but he remained steadfast and patient. Sometimes our suffering is not because of our own sin. It's because of someone else's. That's what many of the prophets experienced. It was the nation's disobedience that causes their suffering. Sometimes suffering and difficulties has nothing to do with our sin or anyone else's. It's a time of testing, of strengthening of our faith. It's an opportunity for us to see God in a way that we've never seen him. Now this is all great, right? We've gone through these three examples. Okay, great. Now we have some case studies of what it looks like and what it means to be patient in suffering. That's great, but I'm not Job. But I'm not Jeremiah. But I'm not a farmer. So what does this have to do with me? And look at what James, look at what sits at the center of his encouragement to us to remain patient in the face of difficulty and suffering do not grumble against one another because when times get tough what's easy to do is to ignore what's on the inside and just focus what's on the outside what politician can i blame for this can i blame my boss for this can i blame my spouse for this Let me look at all the external factors that are making my life difficult, that are bringing suffering in me. And when we turn our eyes to the outside, oftentimes our mouths follow. So it's great to look at these examples of patience and suffering, like the farmer, like the prophets, like Job. But where the rubber hits the road is what you and I do in the face of it. What do we do in the face of suffering and difficulties? Do we complain? Does everyone who we've ever met know about our difficulties? Because at every moment in a conversation, we're just looking for that open door to be like, oh, well, let me tell you how de- terrible my life is. Do we just incessantly talk about it and post about how how difficult and how crappy everything is in our lives? Are we always looking to complain and grumble against other people and why it's their fault and why everything in our life is messed up because of them? Because patience in suffering turns our attention not on the outside, but on the inside. Because it's what's on the inside that counts. Because we turn our attention to what the Lord is doing in us, so that at one point we can get to that same place that Job was at, where we can say, "My eyes had heard of you, but now my or my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see." I I knew cognitively about your goodness, but now I know it to be true in my heart. Now. I can stake my life on it. And then we turn to verse 12. Now, if we had more time to go through the book of James, I would treat verse 12 as its own separate message. But if I do that, we are going to run James right up into Christmas. And I think it would be appropriate that we at least talk about the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. So we're going we're gonna to condense this a little bit and, and we're going to finish James up. But I included it with this message because James is talking about the same idea of what's on the inside. So verse 12. We read it earlier, but we'll revisit But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Here's what James is saying. When you invoke or swear by something else, what you're saying is that your word isn't good enough, it's a matter of integrity. When you have to promise or swear on, on anything else, what you're saying is what's on the inside of me isn't good enough. So I've, I've got to rely on some external reality. But we should be people that what's on the inside counts for Something. So that when we make a promise, we don't have to promise on something else that our word stands true because that's who we are. Because we decided that instead of focusing on external things, that we would recognize that what's on the inside matters. Whether it's what our eyes are looking at when we're in the midst of suffering and difficulties or what we do with our mouths we would quit going outside of us and instead turn inside. That integrity is a matter of the heart, about being the kind of person we claim to be because we don't have to rely on anything else for our words to mean something. And so my challenge for you in this moment as we close is to just stop and to think about what's on the inside for you. Sometimes in Christianity and I think in our culture, we're, we say what, what matters most is what's on the inside, but by our actions what we really show is that what matters most to us is what's on the outside, what people think of us, how we present ourselves. It's easy to always turn our eyes to the outside. To be worried about what other people think about us or to to place blame on other people or situations for our difficulties. But I think what James wants us to do, what we've seen him do throughout this entire letter, is to turn our minds and our attention on what's on the inside to stop and think about who we really are and who the Lord is helping us to become. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that you have called us to be men and women of integrity. Lord, that you have called us to not spend our lives being so concerned with what's on the outside but instead to turn and to focus on what's on the inside when we're faced up against difficulties and suffering it's it's so easy and so tempting to look for who to blame But God, what you have called us to do is to do everything we can, everything that's within our power, and then trust what happens from there to you. And so, Lord, that's what we want to do right now. We want to just hand control over to you. To trust in you. To quit worrying and focusing what's on the outside and to start turning focusing on what's on the inside. Lord, would you help us to take a really hard, honest look and examination of what's on the inside today? I want to ask that you just keep your eyes closed for a moment. You know, every week we, we conclude our time and we respond to the ways in which God is speaking to us through song. And that moment is an opportunity for you to just respond to how the Lord is speaking. And sometimes for you, the way the Lord is speaking, the most appropriate thing you could do would be to stand and lift your hands and to sing and to praise. Sometimes the most appropriate thing that you could do in response to the way God is speaking is to get on your knees in humility, physically an expression of your inward attitude and submission. Sometimes the most appropriate way to respond would be to sit there and to just not interrupt God and allow him to continue speaking. Whatever is the most appropriate way for you to respond today, you do that. You don't worry about what anyone else thinks about how you respond. You respond to the Lord. If you'd like to stand and sing, if you'd like to kneel and pray, if you'd like to to sit and listen, or some other way that the Lord is stirring you, would you just open your heart to responding to God in this moment?